It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined by a guest that we used to talk to very often because the Constitution was constantly in peril. Uh, but he is here right now because he has two new books that he has edited out. Professor of Constitutional Law and Politics at Brown and Fordham, Corey Brett Schneider. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, thanks for introducing me that, that way. It has been too long and great <laughs> to be with you both. <laughs> it has been. Well, I mean, you know, we had a lot of constitutional crises to discuss with you at one point. Those things are all still happening. But, right. um, you know, <laughs> so right, right exactly. now. There are two books coming out. You're you're the editor of a series that kind of demystifies these massive legal concerns in this country for readers. And, and you have two books that you have edited that are coming out, uh, one called Free Speech and one called Religious Freedom. <laughs> and it feels like those two things are um, are getting a little messed up in our in our current discourse. So I, I guess. You know, the last book in the series was about impeachment. It was really obvious why we needed to have that conversation when we were having that conversation. Tell us why free speech and religious freedom felt like the historical texts that you needed to tackle right now. I think there's just so much conversation about these two issues, but in a way that's often for political profit. Think of the really disgusting way that we've heard Republicans talk about critical race theory, for instance. Um, uh, and this is a radical idea, which is, you know, if you want to talk about these issues of free speech, of religious freedom, uh, and think about them in a deep way and the role that they play in our democracy, you should do some reading. And uh, instead of, you know, just making things up and, and demonizing people to actually read the works that um, politicians are often, you know, name dropping or criticizing and to engage in a, a real discussion about really in these volumes, two fundamental issues in the free speech volume. Uh, what's the purpose of free speech in a democracy? Is it just a sort of free for all to say what you want or is it towards the end of, of improving life for people, finding truth as John Stuart Mill says or as Alexander Mickeljohn says uh, about um, democracy and thinking about our role as citizens and hearing arguments and making the arguments free from being put in prison. But at the same time, I want to ask the tough question that finally Americans are asking, which is, well, what about equality? What about hate speech? And uh, how do we deal with a society that has protected speech that might actually undermine our democracy? And so the basic idea is, look, we're at a moment of threat for democracy. We know now this isn't something that's inevitably going to last. And we really need to think really clearly about these issues by reading people who often disagree. I don't just publish people who agree with me. It's a, it's a mix of, of thinkers and debates. Uh, but it's got one thing in common, which is that everybody that I'm publishing is uh, really arguing in good faith and, and adding something to the conversation. Oh, how nice. Isn't that such a breath of fresh air? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the well, idea of the series, breath of fresh so, air. Exactly. <laughs> well, because one of the things I learned in law school, um, I mean, a lot, I learned a lot of things in law school, but one of the things I learned in law school is that you can make a really good argument and I can disagree with it. <laughs> you right. can make a perfectly logical and sound argument um, based on all facts that are true. 
and I can still be like, yeah, no, nah, I don't, I'm not loving it. So, so one of the things I think is important to establish here is that what you said about everybody starting in good faith, like with the purpose of actually trying to um, create a space to like really think through some of these things. Because another thing I learned in law school is that constitutional law is sort of a thing that we, uh, you know, we make it up. We, we're sort of making it up. You know what I mean? Like we're, it's still, it's evolving and growing and changing. Not changing may not be the right word. Maybe you should correct me, constitutional law professor. Um, <laughs> but evol- evolving might be a better word. Um, you know, the constitution was a a document they wrote hundreds of years ago. That was like 10 pages and (laughs) hundreds of years later, we apply it to current events. Um, so can you talk about the ways in which, um, it's important to sort of do these types of thought, like that's what legal journals are, but like people that don't go to law school, they don't understand this, that like, it's important to, to sort of flex these muscles because, no. The Constitution in particular, is, as a specific area of law, is is one of those areas that's like, it's super evolving. Yeah. I'm not an original. Yeah, and I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're, I think, so. capturing the spirit of what I'm trying to do, which is to say, uh, look, when it comes to free speech and religious freedom, the two of the most important rights found in our mm-hmm. First Amendment Um, we can't just leave this to what we're told by our history teachers or at this moment in time, what courts have told us these things mean, because frankly, and and this really is my motivation for the series, uh, those are not the best ideas uh, out there that Justice Kavanaugh or that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Justice Roberts even uh, is giving us. They're giving us, I think, really uh, anemic, poor ideas of religious freedom, for instance, uh, the freedom to discriminate, I think, is the way that many of the justices now see that. That's freedom. usually how it's used. Uh, it, it, unfortunately, but, you know, in, in, in the volume that I'm that I'm trying to get America to talk about, we're reviving the voices of citizens, of dissidents, of people throughout the 20th century civil rights activists who use the language of the Constitution to think more clearly than the court was. So, you know, at the time, um, I, for instance, uh, one of the excerpts is an excerpt on free speech by Ida B. Wells, who's writing at a time uh, in which, of course, the Supreme Court is enforcing apartheid throughout America and the American South in particular uh, through this pernicious doctrine of separate but equal. And she really says, look, you need to do two things if you want to understand what free speech is. First, understand the violence that Black people are experiencing throughout America that's preventing, literally, uh, them from speaking. And, and of course, her own story involves her newspaper, The Free Speech, being shut down uh, by um, arson. Uh, but at the same time, what she's doing, and earlier in the 19th century, a, a similar piece, actually, in theme from Frederick Douglass, uh, is reclaiming that right to free speech and saying, look, just because the Supreme Court has completely trashed it, just because there's this historical idea of free speech that applies really only to white people doesn't mean that it isn't a vocabulary that Americans can reclaim for democracy, for everyone. And that's really what the, the, the that excerpt, for instance, talks about, but what the volumes are trying to get us to do to sort of recapture these ideas that after all are fundamental to have a democracy in the first place, but to recapture them from the supposed authorities that are telling us what they mean, because yeah, the religious freedom in the hands of the Supreme Court means the, the freedom to discriminate. Uh, and uh, what free speech means, I think, is 
the right of um, uh, white supremacists to march through Charlottesville unchecked. And I think there's got to be a deeper conversation than that. I would certainly hope that there would be. It's I, it, I think there's also, when we talk about religious freedom, we, we are talking about, it, we, we pretty much today at least exclusively talk about the right to practice one's religious beliefs. And often that comes in the form of discrimination, but that is what we're talking about. Right. Non-religion is also protected under religious freedom. Like we are not supposed to value religion over non-religion. Um, can you talk a little bit about how how that is portrayed in the book? Is that something that has been sort of lost to the ages? Um, am I just Absolutely. being a hopeful agnostic here no. in, in imagining that it was ever no. a part of the tenets of our country? No, I think that, you know, in the same way that the free speech volume is trying to recover this idea of equality and citizens claiming free speech for everyone, uh, the idea of religious freedom is to try to say, look, this this really terrible idea of modern free speech that justices like Gorsuch have spread of the freedom to discriminate really stays away, really avoids the fundamental idea, even at the founding of James Madison, who the volume excerpts very early on, which is that, look, we don't have an established religion in this country, but not just that we don't have an official Church of England, but that we don't allow laws that respect or relate to the establishment of religion. That's equal in our First Amendment to the idea of free exercise. And we've totally lost that idea because we've allowed people to say this is a Christian nation uh, to legislate ba based on it. Think of uh, legislation about abortion. Of course, everyone knows, even if it's claim that this is somehow not imposing religion on others, that the basis for the laws that prohibit the right to choose are almost always based in a religious conception. And that's exactly what Madison was trying to avoid. He was saying, look, we don't live in a theocracy. And even within democracy, we can't allow people to use theocratic reasoning to take their religion and impose it on others. And if you lose that part of it, uh, then you get what we've got now. And, you know, what's wrong with uh, with legislation that tries to allow people to discriminate uh, based on their religion? It's really in a sort of microcosm allowing stores, uh, Hobby Lobby or whatever the store is that we're talking about, uh, to engage in a kind of their own sort of imposition of theocracy on on customers, on employees. And so I think we've got to recapture both ideas. Yes, religion means the government can't stop you from practicing the religion you want, uh, but it also means that government is, is not going to act based on your religion to impose your will, your religious ideas on other people. So this fundamentally is the argument that I always land on that, that I think is persuasive for, for folks who, especially back in just... I say it like it was a long time ago, like, you know, three years ago where when marriage equality wasn't the law of the land um, <laughs> way back in the day um, of yeah. 2015. Um, and um, one of the things that I always um, say is, you know, everybody here is able to believe what they want. Like that's that's what makes this country what it is and amazing. Um, but what you believe should not restrict someone else's rights, fundamental yeah. rights. So can we can you talk about the other applications of that same principle? Because this is coming up, obviously, in the cases of Hobby Lobby, like you mentioned. Um, but I mean, it's 
every single time I, I see a conservative talk about abortion, for example, which you also mentioned, I ever their found the foundation of their argument is in their the Bible. There's like three right. sentences and then they're talking about the Bible. And I'm like, I need you to get through your full argument without citing the Bible. Um, because that's yep. not you don't get to do that here. That's actually right. not right. what we do here. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, and I think that marriage equality is such a good example uh, because, you know, for why was there a denial of the right to get married based on sexual orientation? It was, I think, because of obviously religious reasons. And these Bible quotes that you heard people using have no place in a free society. That's not my idea. That's Madison's. It seems like a radical idea. I guess he'd be called a radical leftist by uh, conservatives today, but that's James Madison who had that idea. Not only did he have the idea, but he put it in the Constitution when it, the Constitution says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Uh, that's what it means. You can't reason based on the Bible. And he got it from John Locke, who says a very similar thing. These aren't uh, seen as, you know, the radical left progressives. But in American politics today, certainly they would be. And that's what they were saying. No, you can't defend uh, your your right to discriminate uh, based on uh, religion. I feel like you must experience. So so Zerlina was raised by pastors. So when people misquote the Bible or use the Bible to mm. justify something that the Bible was actually very much opposed to. She loses it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder for her than it is for me. I'm not full of scripture, so I can't I can't do that. I just know it's wrong. I feel right. like you must have the same experience <laughs> yes. when you're watching Supreme Court justices argue what the founding fathers meant. <laughs> yes, definitely. When uh, a certain wing of the court, the right wing of the court, says what they think religious freedom is, and they ignore this idea that you can't have an established religion and try to just basically write it out of history, that drives me crazy. And when I turn on the television and hear basically huge numbers of uh, politicians, not just Republicans, but Democrats too, mm -hmm. act as if we're a Christian Republic and that you can just sort of look to the Bible as a source for law. No, that's not how it works. We live in a pluralist society. It was supposed to be designed that way. I mean, certainly the 18th century was far from a true democracy, but they did have that basic idea that it wasn't a theocracy. And yet the uh, language of, of Christian Republic of trying to impose on others I think, too, I should say on, on the side, one of the, the things you and we have all talked about and that I was inspired to put, put in the book, um, the three of us on this show, is, of course, the travel ban. And mm -hmm. what a moment of clear, most obvious destruction of religious freedom to discriminate based on religion, to deny people entry to this country because uh, they're Muslim or uh, practicing or not. Uh, that's another place where, wow, how did we miss the thing that is the most obvious violation of religious freedom? So I have Sotomayor's brilliant dissent in the, in, the, in the book, which really should be read by all Americans, which very eloquently gives an explanation of what religious freedom is, uh, that it means the right not to be discriminated against because right. of your religious beliefs. I mean, it seems so clear to me, but I know... Um, you know, there's a lot of bad faith. And so I'm, it's so refreshing mm. to, to start on a premise of good faith when you're, when you're, mm -hmm. you know, making your arguments, um, because then we can work with that. I think the yeah. hardest thing for me in life, especially as somebody with a brain that has neurons that only fire when logic is present, 
um <laughs> like they sputter out they literally like break down i malfunction um and i'm like i don't i'm not following um it, it's sort of like is that premise of good faith that we all sort of are operating towards something um that may be different than what we where we sort of thought we would end up but yeah um you know we the good faith is required otherwise right. it all breaks down can you also talk about the ways in which i mean the fact that conservatives have sort of made it the the critical race theory thing reminds me so much of like prayer in schools mm. and i don't know that we like there's a lot of folks who are like old enough to remember that i mean like i sort of remember it because it was like peak 90s like i just remember it being like peak yep. 90s but i was yep. i so i was aware of it happening because i was in school um but can you talk about the ways in which though the same arguments um constitutional arguments um to defend you know people saying like we should be have prayer in school of course we should and then yeah. the opposing arguments like that they're they're, they're coming back around again um, but in just a different context, it's like, it just, they sort of shape shifted and now it's 2021 and I'm like, wait, didn't we have the spider ready? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll say, first of all, on critical race theory, I can't think of a more perfect example of bad faith in an argument because people have not read the work that they're supposedly criticizing. Of, of course they haven't. I mean, Americans realize that now. And when I was putting these volumes together it was months before this, um, anybody really, I think had heard of critical race theory. And I thought I've got to publish this amazing piece on free speech by Charles Lawrence III, who was a professor at Stanford Law School, now teaches in Hawaii, and is one of the, I would say, two most important founders of critical race theory. Uh, it's such an important piece. It's so careful. It talks about Brown versus Board of Education and the idea that this commitment to equal protection has to always be read alongside the commitment to free speech. It is a subtle piece. It is learned in the case law. It's reasoned. It is the definition of good faith. And yet it's the one of, I would say, two of the most important texts in critical race theory. And then to watch him and his um, fellow theorists be trashed by Republicans <laughs> who the idea that they've even heard of this, this text uh, that he's written, a brilliant text called If He Hollers, let him go, much less read it as, you know, absurd. So it's the definition, I think, that argument of bad faith. I think in the prayer in schools, it's it's maybe even beyond bad faith because, look, you know, the, the Constitution is very clear. You can't establish a religion. And yet when you see over and over the debates that we, we I thought, as you said, resolved in the 1960s that really said, no, you can't impose on kids a religion through making them pray, no matter how secular you try to make a prayer sound, it's it's not secular, uh, that we're back to it, I think is a really, uh, you know, it's beyond bad faith in the sense that it's just a rejection altogether of the constitutional idea of um, a ban on an established religion. I think that there are people, huge numbers of people in this country think we live in a Christian republic and they couldn't care less about the founding 
sometimes they invoke it, sometimes they don't. Um, so, so yeah, these both these volumes are are really pushing against, I would say, a sea of of bad faith in this in the public culture. So, if you want to educate yourself and come into those conversations with the historical context that the person you were debating is probably lacking, I'm not suggesting that you read these before your Thanksgiving dinners with your families. I'm just saying it might be helpful. The books are Penguin Classics, Free Speech and Religious Freedom. Corey Brett Schneider, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back soon. My pleasure. I love talking to both of you. Always a pleasure. Yes. So time. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 